This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Ready? You got it? Okay, everybody. Parshas Bo, 5784. So here's what we're going to talk about this week. It's Parak Yud Aleph Pasuk Hay. The Pasuk says, Umeis kol b'chor b'eretz mitzrayim. Every Bechor in the land of Mitzrayim is going to be killed. Mi Bechor Paro Yoshev al Kiso. From the Bechor of Paro who sits on his throne. Ad Bechor Shifcha. Until all the way to the Bechor of the maidservant, Ashaya Achar Rechaim, that was behind the grinding mill. The whole Bechor Behemoth. As well as the firstborn of every animal. All of these people were going to be killed. Every single person was going to be gone throughout Mitzrayim. Now this is when Moshe Rabbeinu was warning Paro about what was going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to be. The Orachayim HaKadosh wonders, why start off with the, the wording of the Pasuk gives, Umes Kobachor. Why is it, and they'll die? It shouldn't be Umes, it should be Vayake or Vehika. He should be hitting them, Right? Umes just means they're going to die. For example, not too long ago, I said in a speech of mine on Shabbos, and it was the wrong thing to say, the people that died on October 7th. It's the wrong wording, right? Because they didn't die, they were murdered. They were killed. Saying that they died is not enough of a word to describe that. It should be that you say that they were actually killed. So what in the world is this Pusik saying, umes kobachor, that they're all going to die, that's not the right wording over here, that they should be smitten in a way. So there are a few answers. The Horachim HaKadosh gives two answers here. Number one, he says, HaKadosh Baruch only does good. When God is involved, there's only good involved. Anything bad that happens, happens through Hashem, but not from God directly. Hashem allows the mashchis to destroy, allows the bad things to happen. But it's not through him, it's through a shliach in a sense, and a Kaddish Baruch Hu, so to speak, allowing it to happen. Thus, the word, the hikisi, really means through a shliach. I hit, but I didn't hit. That's not what Hashem does. He allowed to be hit through a shliach. The person dies, but he doesn't kill him. Now that's all a, a huge question, what we mean in the Seder when we say, Ani velo malach, Ani velo ashliach. What exactly does it mean that a Kaddish Baruch Hu allows someone to die? Okay, but either way, the Orachayim HaKadosh uses this to answer the question, Umeis, they died. How did they die? Through me. Not exactly through me, through a shliach, an agency of mine, but nonetheless, that's how they died. But there's something a little bit more that the Orachayim HaKadosh goes into, and it sort of adds to the first answer. It's not against the first answer, it's just called it a second answer. In a few Gemaras, you'll see this concept of Yav Enebo, the Katle. He put his eyes upon him, and he, he died. Or, he turned him into a Gal Shalat Samos, a pile of bones. What does that mean exactly? How did a Tanoim or Amorayim have a power that can kill people just by looking at them? And why would a Tzaddik do that even if he did have the power? Why would a Tzaddik do such a thing? Why would he want to kill somebody? That sounds like a strange thing to do. And he explains that everything terrible in this world has something good about it that allows it to exist. If there wasn't something good, it wouldn't be here. That tov is something positive. It's something that keeps it around. It gives it life. It gives it a life-giving of them. That's what it means that in the future, the sam, the satan, will be brought before the tzadikim and he'll be shechted right in front of them. It doesn't make much sense. How is a malach 
let alone the Satan, right? How is a Malach going to be shakted or killed? How is that going to happen? How does a Malach get shakted? Even if a Malach is shakted, how does that mean that, are we going to eat him? Do we have, is that what we're going to do? We're going to serve the Satan on a plate and give it over to all the Tzadikim so they're going to eat? What in the world does that mean? The answer is, is that the job of the Satan, the job of Sam, is to test people and to see if they're going to pass those tests. In the future, there's going to be no need for those tests. It's going to be over. So the sum will no longer need to exist. That means that what a Kaddish Baruch is going to do is take away the good thing that the sum has. The one good thing that he has to exist for. The one thing that he has. The ability to allow people to become greater when they pass their tests. And Mamela, when that doesn't happen anymore, that's gone, the sum dies. It has no chius left. It has no life left. There's nothing there. We also know that the sparks of Kedusha that everybody has are attracted to one another and they're attracted in a way like a magnet pulls another magnet. If you take a magnet you come close to something. We all know what's going to happen. It's going to pull that thing straight from one place to the other. You know what's going to happen. When a great tzaddik sees someone with Kedusha that isn't being used properly, then the Kedusha within that tzaddik pulls out the Kedusha from the person opposite them. It's as if they're going near them and the Kedusha that's in that Russia is almost like pulling itself out toward the Tzaddik and the stronger magnet is obviously the Tzaddik over the Russia. So that Kedusha gets pulled out from the Russia itself and goes to the Tzaddik causing the Russia to lose their Chiyus, the reason for existing, everything that's there in the world. The same thing happens to HaKadosh Baruch when God, so to speak, passes through a certain area. When he goes through, the Kedusha attracts itself to whatever HaKadosh Baruch allows to go in for him. And the male of the people there will all die. The Kedusha literally that they have is attracted to whatever HaKadosh Baruch pulls through and they're all gone. And that's exactly what happened by Makis Bechoros. Makis Bechoros was not a shechita, the way we describe it as shechting an animal. Makis Bechoros was simply Hashem passed through Mitzrayim. And when he passed through Mitzrayim, so to speak, he magnetized all of their neshamos, the Kedusha behind the Egyptians, and it literally attached itself to God, which allowed the people there to simply die. They weren't killed. Their neshamas had to leave their body. And when the neshamas left their body, they were left with literally nothing. There was nothing left. That's the idea behind what happened throughout all the time. And maybe that's going to explain why Kaddish Baruch Hu allowed B'nai Yisrael to leave after this Makkah and not beforehand. There's a Bechor of Kedusha and there's a Bechor of Tumah. Just like there's Kedusha in the world, there's Tumah that's opposite in everything that happens. When one goes up, the other goes down and vice versa. That happens at all times. Until Hashem knocked down the Bechor of Tumah, there was no way the Bechor of Kedusha could be brought out. There are different levels of this, obviously from Bechor Paro until Bechor Shifcha, the highest to the lowest level of Tumah in this sense of what they had in Mitzrayim. But until then, the Bechor Kedusha of B'nai Yisrael had no ability to leave, and that's that. Even the firstborn animals had to die in order for the Bechor of Kedusha of B'nai Yisrael to be able to get out. And even though they chased them out afterward, even though the Mitzrayim chased out afterward, they didn't, not all of them died immediately. Some of their neshamas obviously stayed with them. The Bechor's left. 
but not everybody else left, and they were still there, we see what happened after that. They had no power. The Kedusha, so to speak, was gone. It was like there was nothing left. The Egyptian nation would have been nothing. Had they fought B'nai Yisrael, which they didn't get to do, they instead died at the Amsuf. Had they fought with B'nai Yisrael, they would have fallen down in front of B'nai Yisrael and just fainted. Everything would have been completely gone because there was nothing left in their tanks. That's exactly what was happening at that time. And that's the reason why he says, Umais, they literally just died. There was nothing else to talk about. They died in such a way that was all, all there. The Torah talks about that. But the idea is, that's how the Orachayim HaKadosh says that happens. And that's what happens with great tzaddikim. A great tzaddik goes over to somebody else and the result is the other person simply loses that Kedusha and dies. There's nothing left. What's up, Shlomo? Why what? I'm sorry? So that's the good question. I, I, I don't have an answer for that except the Orachim HaKadosh indicates that HaKadosh Baruch Hu only allowed that magnetism to work by the Bechor's Neshamos, not by anybody else. Right, it sounds that way. And by Paro, it did, but for whatever reason, Hashem wanted to keep that Neshama down there. But yes, there's something that's there. I can't answer that. That's really like the Orachim HaKadosh dealing with some type of... But he specifically mentions the Bechor's Neshama, not everybody. I guess that works by Tzadikim also. A Tzadik can walk by a bunch of people and it doesn't happen. But by certain people it happens. There's certain magnets, I guess you can say, that allow certain Neshamas to leave and not others. Yeah. So the Orachim HaKadosh does not mention that here, but you are right. A hundred percent, we have mentioned this before. The power of the eyes is the most important point that allows this to happen. Specifically, I don't know why, but there's an ability to see. Yahiv be'ene v'noch nafshe. The enayim have that power without anything else. The neshama is within the eye. That's one, the Radamsker has a famous line about that. Ayeh HaKedesha, where is Kedusha? He Nayim. It's in the eyes of the person. It's what we say by Yehuda and Tamar, and that's also used on Hanukkah, but that's the concept. Yeah, Shaya. Isn't the nefesh the soul? The nefesh is your blood. So that is definitely true. But the chius of the person, which means that neshama, the highest level, is within the eyes themselves. That's the ultimate kedusha. But the nefesh, you're right, is throughout the entire body. Some of it is more concentrated in the brain and the heart, which is the most area of blood you have in the kidneys also. Right? That's why it says the kidneys help you make decisions. But it goes throughout your entire body. Your nefesh is throughout your entire body. All those would be 100% true. They all go through. There's more, by the way. The tzorah more adds to this last idea that neither HaKadosh Baruch Hu, nor any Malach went through Mitzrayim because it was so filled with Tumah. So he asked the question, he said, then how did the firstborn die? Right? If it was so filled with Tumah, how in the world could they have died? And he says, the Zohar says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu looked down from Mechon Shifto, his area above, with his Midas Adin, and caused all of them to die. Meaning he said like this, when that happened, not only did the people die, but the malachim that were in charge of those people, they died above as well, right? Their own personal malachim, as well as the malach that was in charge of Mitzrayim, the nation in general. That might be, he says, because the malachim of the firstborn were considered bechoros. Not only were the firstborn considered bechoros, but their malachim were firstborn. They themselves were firstborn. And the malach of Mitzrayim, whether that was Duma or Rahav or Mitzrayim, whatever the name of the malach of Mitzrayim was, was the malach of Nisan, 
the first month of the year. That's the Bechor, the first month of the year. This essentially destroyed the entire Klipa, the Tumah of Mitzrayim, says the Torah more, all in one fell swoop, all four major Tumahs being mentioned by the four Bechoros mentioned by the Psukim. Bechor Paro, Bechor Shifcha, later on there's a Bechor Ashri, and Bechor Behema. When they were destroyed, then the Bechoros down here were destroyed as well. And that's the idea. There are four major groups of Tumah, the four major Bechors were gone. The four Klipos, I guess you could say, that allowed the Jews to be ruled over on Mitzrayim were all completely gone. There's so much to that number four. The Torah more says, that's hinted you in Yechesko and Parakal of Pasuk Dalit. In the beginning of Babakama, Arba Neziken, Shor, Bor, Mava, and Hever, each one represents one of these powers of Tuma and something like that. And that's why we have four Lishonos of Geula, Votsesi, Vitzalti, and the four cups on Pesach to combat that Tuma and to be able to do something different. All of this is a crazy idea, but the Torah Mor says that's all connected to the Orachayim HaKadur says in regarding how to work the Bechors right over here. Yeah, Shai, what were you going to ask? Got, okay. There's another medrash brought in the Hakdama of Mesachas Sofrim. Look, there is no such thing as an introduction to Mesachtos. It doesn't exist. But the truth is, Sofrim is not exactly a major Mesachta either. Meaning, we all know Bavakama, Bavmetzia, Sanhedrin, Avodazara. Right after Avodazara in Nizikin, there's a bunch of Mesachtos at the very, very end. If you go to the end of Avodazara and Horius, Adius, Avos, Pirkei Avos. There's a bunch of Mesechtos at the end. They're called Mesechtos Ketanos. There's not too many people who talk about it. There's a Sefer Binyin Yoshua that goes into those Mesechtos Ketanos. Rechaim Knievsky, of course, has a parish on every single one of these Mesechtos. They're very hard to learn because it's not like normal Gemara. It's more like Brysos. Brysos one after the other. There's not much Amoraic statements. If they are, they're very early Amoraim. But they're also not real Mesechtos. So there's Gerim there. There's... Sefer Torah, there's Sofrim, there's Avos Rebbe Nussin, if anybody's heard of that, right? All of those Mesechtos are at the end of Avodah Zarah. I include them. If you're making a Siyamashas, include them as Siyamashas, but Daf Yomi does not do it. Daf Yomi doesn't have anything for these Mesechtos themselves. But these Mesechtos have a little bit, only in one of them, in Sofrim, there's a Hakdama. There's an introduction. It's like a two-liner right in the beginning, beginning of it. And it says the following. It says, the firstborn, the firstborn of Mitzrayim, were hit at Chatzos at midnight. They were hit. There was a Hika Kolbachor. They were smashed. But they didn't die then. They died terribly throughout the rest of the night. Right? And then by morning, all the Bechoros were gone. That answers a crazy amount of questions. Smachos, thank you. Smachos, that's Sofer. I wrote Sofer over here. But Smachos, yeah. So here's the deal. Like, here's the problem. When you look at Makas Bechoros, everybody asks the question. Now, Kaddish Baruch said he did the Maka himself. But why weren't B'nai Yisrael able to leave that night? Why couldn't B'nai Yisrael leave their houses? Because the Malach HaMavis was in the streets. There was no Malach HaMavis in the streets. There's no Malachim there because HaKadosh Baruch Hu did everything himself. How was there a Malachim So according to this, it makes sense. HaKadosh Baruch Hu did the original hit and that caused them to be dying. 
But then the Malach Mavis went through Mitzrayim and killed everyone. If anybody's seen the Ten Commandments, which is obviously with Charlton Heston, they're all, all based on Midrashim, obviously. There's not one thing there that's not based, I'm joking, but there's nothing there that's true. But if you remember, in Charlton Heston's The Ten Commandments, there was this little green, I don't know, ooze or whatever, smoke that went through Mitzrayim, that when it went into the people's houses, they all died. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's Marcus. But Marcus Pachoros happened at midnight, at exactly midnight. How in the world was this supposed to be a green little ooze that went through? And we know the movie has to be 100% correct. The answer is, it is and it isn't. The green ooze represented the Malachamoves. Obviously, they all knew that. They were hit at midnight. But the death happened as the Malachamoves went from night to night. And it only killed those who were hit. That also answers Paro. Paro's a Bachor. He didn't die. And he's running through Mitzrayim. Why is he running through Mitzrayim? He didn't die. He's fine. So there shouldn't be any issues now. He was told they were all going to die at midnight. He didn't die at midnight. There shouldn't have been any issues. What in the world is he running around Mitzrayim saying, Save me, save me, where's Moshe Nalom? The answer is, he was hit. But the Malach hadn't gotten to him yet. And therefore he was able to run through Mitzrayim, find Moshe and Aaron, and Moshe and Aaron were able to say, you won't die, but everybody else will die. That's exactly what happened. It's all based on that. If that's so, it's possible that this Pusik is hinting to it over here. There's a difference between being hit and umace. They're going to die. But it's not going to be at midnight. At midnight, it's going to be the Hika Kobachor, that Akash Baruch who's going to hit them. But not that they'll die at the moment. They'll die as the night goes on. That's another reason why the Pusik says umace. Now, there's more. The Rokeach actually learns an unbelievable medrash from this Pusik. He says, the dogs pulled out the bodies of the firstborn who had already died in the previous nine Makos, as well as the statues that were made for the firstborn. Because they used to believe, that, like, you know, in the power of death, so they made these huge statues and stuff like that. They brought them to their parents, and then, I, I don't want to, some of you were eating took care of the bodies in front of their parents while they were right over there or destroyed the idols right in front of the parents were. And that night was as bitter as the day that they had originally died. So the Bechors did, sorry, the Bechors did die that day. They just had died in a very, very different fashion. They died in a very different fashion than what it was the first time. That's the Rukeach. Rashi and Ibn Ezra say the reason why the Torah specifically mentions the firstborn of Paro's house, right, and the firstborn of his maidservants, because that was the highest and lowest levels of firstborn. Like the Orachai Makaru says, the highest level of firstborn is the prince. The lowest level of firstborn, right, is obviously the worst. Everything, everybody in between would definitely be included. There was no one greater than the firstborn of the king who would sit on his throne in his place. There was no one lower than the maidservants who worked in filth. Those were the two, the highest and lowest. That's how Rashi said The Sforno says that, the, yeah. They treated the animals higher than the maidservants? I would assume so, or it's not a human being. Right? If it's not a human being, it's not included. Bechor Behema is there. Right? But I guess from human beings, the highest to the lowest. The Sforno adds that this is from the level of the worst sinners, Paro, to the least sinners, the Shifcha, because what did the Shifcha do? Shifcha didn't do much to Klau Yisrael, right? So it's going to include everybody like that. The Chizkuni says includes Bechor's from the father, meaning Paro, and the Bechor is from the mother. And that's why both are mentioned over here, because that's the Shifcha. You might think like, well, who's the firstborn? Does firstborn go by parental? Or does it go by maternal, maternal, right, the firstborn? The answer is, it's both. It really is both. It goes by the father and the mother, and therefore, both of those died. That meant 
that if there was some some things going on in the family and the women had multiple husbands or the husbands had multiple wives, then there was more than one Bechor. Every Bechor died. And that would be, cause a lot of questions in the household if a bunch of people died, right? And all of a sudden, the father's like, what's going on here, right? Then he would find out that his wife actually had multiple husbands that were happening one after the other. And that was extremely inappropriate for everybody there. That's what the Chizkuni says. Mibchor Paro either refers to Paro's firstborn son, who would in the future sit on his throne, which is how Rashi understands it, the future king who would be sitting on his throne, or to Paro himself who was sitting on the throne, that he's the Bechor Paro, he is the Bechor that's sitting on his throne, one of the two. The Balitosas say Paro never worried about himself over here. He never thought that he himself was going to die. He knew he would be fine and he wouldn't die with everybody else because Moshe only mentioned his Bechor, not himself. Even though he was a Bechor, he said, me Bechor Paro. He should have said, me Paro. Right? But he said, I'm not, I'm not worried about this whatsoever. So that's why he argued with the firstborn men, who we'll talk about soon, who came up to him and said, let them go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, but not as badly as the rest of the people. The Ibn Ezra says that he was able to get around Kenan because they swept everything out really well. He was able to buy water from the Jews, therefore he didn't have to worry about the blood. But but everything affected him. It smelled, it stunk, there were still dead fish everywhere. He wasn't able to get great water. Like, all the things affected him, but he didn't have as much pain as everybody else. The only thing that did affect him was his firstborn son did die. But he wasn't worried. But he kept saying, as people were coming up to him, and they said, but you're a before. He just said, like, I'm, I'm told that I wasn't going to die. Only my son. And therefore he did not worry about this maka until that night when he freaked out a little bit and realized that he probably was going to die. In the end, there's no question, though, Paro's firstborn son died. We don't know anything about who this guy was. We don't know if he was a good guy or a bad guy. We have no idea what the age is. But we know that Paro's firstborn son did die in the end. But that leads us to the next thing. Shlomo, yeah. Right. Right. I, if we're saying this, then he wasn't actually affected by the Makkah. The way that Rashi seems to say it, and at least according to the Balaitosis, you're right, he wasn't affected. Now, there is a problem. Because later on, when the Makkah actually happens, in Parag Yudbe's Chavtas, Paul says, Hashem hit every Bechor in the land of Mitzrayim. Mi Bechor Paro Yosheb Al Kiso. Ad Bechor Hashvi Asher Sabor. Until the Bechor of the captive one who is sitting in the pit. Bechor Bechor Behemah and all the Bechor Behemahs. And everybody asks the question, they're like, wait a second. You said that the Bechor is the Bechor Hashivcha. But in the actual Makkah, it's Bechor Hashvi Asher Sabor. Why does the Pusik switch between those two? What's the difference between those two over here? So there are, uh, there are discrepancies in Rashi. I'm not going to deal with the discrepancies in Rashi. If you want to look, Rashi actually brings down Bechor Hashvi in this Pusik. Even though the words don't appear in this Pusik, he brings it down in this Pusik. It's already a Kasha. I'm not going to deal with that. That's in the Meforshe Rashi. They're a little strange to me. But either way, they all deal with it. I'm just not going to say it. But what's the difference between the Bechor HaShivcha in this Pusik and Bechor HaShvi in that Pusik? So I got this. From the Rashbam, the Chizkuni, Rechaim Paltiel, Panech Raza, Rabbeinu Ephraim, Rabbeinu Bechayim, Moshev Zekanim, Tur, and Ibn Ezra. There might be more, but I know that all of these say the exact same thing. It's referring to the same person. Oh, by the way, it's also in, and I didn't even write this down, it's in Daksada Kabbalah, the Malbim, the Nitziv, Rav Hirsch, 
uh, give me a bunch of other Pashtun. Every Pashtun in the Parsha says the exact same thing. They don't quote the Rishonim for whatever reason, but they all say the exact same thing. So it was something like, when I went down, it was something like 17 Meforshim all said the exact same thing. They say, it's the same person. A Shifcha, the son of a Shifcha, is the Shvi, meaning the captive one. The Bechor of a Shifcha was the man who at night, he was thrown in jail and guarded. During the day, he went out to work. So by the Shifcha, it says, the Bechor Shifcha, it says the word, the wording is, Asher Achar Chaim. He was right by the grinding mill. That's what he did. He was grinding in the mill and he was doing his work and whatever it is. And in this Pasuk, it says not just that, he was Bebeis Habor. They were thrown into the pit because at night, that's what they ended up doing. That's the idea behind it. And we see this concept by Shimshon. What did Shimshon do during the day? He was captured at night and thrown in chains. But during the day, he grinded in in the grinding mill. He was Achara Rechayim. So we see this concept is all that we've shown him, just like by Shimshon, that's what these people did over here as well. So there's no discrepancy. The Bechor Hashvi is the same thing. And why does it switch the wording? Because Moshe Rabbeinu said this during the day. During the day, they were by the grinding mills. It happened at night. At night, they were in the pit. They were in jail. And that's why it says where they were at the time. That's the idea behind all that we've shown him. They all say the exact same thing and that's that. The Ibn Ezra and the Chizkuni say the same thing but for a little bit of a different reason. They say psukim don't that aren't very different from each other. They can have similar meanings and it's fine. He says you can find this idea throughout the entire Torah where it'll say one thing in one place and another in another place. For whatever reason, they ignore the Gemara completely and they say, for example, we know in the Aseris Adibros, one time it says Zachor and the other time it says Shamor. They mean the same thing, says the Ibn Ezra. Just over here it says one and over there it says the other. Crazy, right? The Chizkuri says the exact same thing and they say, so too, Hagmi Rash. You know, when Eliezer was telling over the story of what he said to Rivka, he said, so too over here. Words can change a little bit. As long as it basically means the same thing, it doesn't matter. That doesn't work for Drush, but it works for Pshat. It's a crazy idea, but that's the idea that he says in Pshat. But the Chassam Sofer in Torah's Moshe says the most obvious reason in the world. Why I never thought of this, I don't know, but he says the most obvious thing. At this point, B'nai Yisrael were still captives, Right? If Moshe Rabbeinu had said that all the captive firstborn will die, who would that include? Klau Yisrael's firstborn. So he didn't want to say that. So he said at the time, Bechora Shifcha, because they weren't Shifchas, they were literally captured. But what actually happened is that everyone died, even those captive. But by that point, Bnei Yisrael had already been freed, so it didn't matter. That's the idea that the Chassam Sofer says. It's actually brilliant. He gives another answer in Chassam Sofer al Torah, but it's a great answer. Yeah. When did the Geula happen? When did the Geula happen? We say, Moed Seischal Mimitzrayim. There's a question of Moed Seischal Mimitzrayim, when does it start? That's Machlokas in Daftesim and Aleph and Brachos. Although it seems that we go by the morning, we do do a Geula at night because the Geula did happen at night. And they say it happened at midnight, at Chatzos Alayla. When the Bechors died, it was automatic that B'nai Yisrael were going to leave. So however you want to put it, it's possible that when they died, immediately at that point, B'nai Yisrael were freed so they were no longer Shvuyim. And that's why they weren't included in the Makkah. It happened simultaneously. You say, Yef Shalitzamtzim, but good, we pass in Yef Shalitzamtzim. This could be like that. Like that. Yeah, Mosheim. Shifcha and Shvi are the same thing, that Rebbe Yisrael being captured, wouldn't they be Shifcha? 
according to those Rishonim, it's the same thing. According to this answer, they're not the same thing. That's the idea that this would say. They're not the same thing, and you have to go with the other Rishonim that argue on those. Yeah, Dave? That's a possibility. The problem is we don't have an official geula time if it happened beforehand. Obviously, even the court in Pasach and the you know the matzah, whatever it was, was part of their geula. But maybe they weren't say, fully freed until midnight when Paro said, "All right, we're out." It could be that that's what happened. But you're you're, you're not wrong. It could be that it started earlier. Could be it started well, earlier. They no Slave, right, because they weren't working, everything was done. Right, it's very possible. It's very possible. It, again, this is all based on that Sugyan Testament Aleph. What exactly is considered Moed Seis Why does Hashem does? Why does Hashem, if he's the one who does it, why does he just kill them? Why punch them and then wait for the That's a great question. I don't have a full answer to that question, other than the fact that a Kaddish Baruch who doesn't do anything directly bad. Right, he allows bad to exist, but doesn't allow the bad to take over. So it's a possibility that a Kaddish Baruch who couldn't do such a thing. It's possible. It's possible. It's possible. That's true. What do you say, Moshe? So if we go, if we say that death is bad, meaning to be taken out of this world because you're no longer in the world of Avoda. Right, or the greatest thing that happened to the Egyptians also, because they no longer could be punished well, for what they were doing. Right, in a way. I, I totally agree with you. But in, regardless, it's still, death is considered bad. Then, right, even if it's not. Nishika. That, that's another issue. Could they, did they deserve to have the highest level of death from a Kaddish Baruch? That's why we called it magnets before. That's the idea of what we said from the Orachim Kaddish of the magnets. Yeah. It, it's possible that's there as well. Yeah, Dan. To see that there was something there. You know what the craziest answer behind that is? Is was the, were they in the same place when this all happened? Were Jews leaving from Mitzrayim or they leaving from Goshen? Were there Egyptians in Goshen or were there Egyptians? Like where were these people? Where were the Bechors at the time? I've always wondered. Like I, I, people have asked me this all the time. How did they not notice that four fifths of Bnei Israel were dead? Right, if you go with the measures that four-fifths of Bnei Yisrael died, how did they not notice that? And one of the easy answers is, they were in Goshen. There's no way they could have seen it. So they wouldn't have known that four-fifths of Bnei Yisrael were dead because the Mitzrayim weren't there. Maybe one or two Mitzrayim knew, but most of the Mitzrayim were in Mitzrayim proper and not in Goshen. Like, that's an easy answer. I don't, I don't have a great answer for all of this, but it's, is it possible that the Egyptians, Mamish, had, were nowhere near the Jews? The Jews had to take Moshe's word for it, that they died at Makas Bechoros, because they literally lived in two different places? I don't know. I really don't have an answer for it. I mean, there are answers, but I, I just don't have a great answer for it to be able to explain it well. I don't know, but that, that goes, yeah. Weren't there Makos that the Mitzrayim hid in the Jews' houses, though? Possible. Yeah, so maybe there were five or six there, but they didn't live there. So did they stay there for Makas Bechoros? There even is in Makas Bechoros. How could they differentiate between the Bechoros of Mitzrayim versus that? So one of the answers of the Malach HaMavis and HaKadosh Baruch Hu on Makas Bechoros, Rabbi Kiva Eger, I believe. Rabbi Kiva Eger's answer is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to go in the Jewish houses to kill the Bechoros of Mitzrayim there, because otherwise the Mashchis wouldn't be able to be Mavkin. So the Mashchis took care of the people that were in Egyptian houses and the Bechoros the in the Jewish 
Jewish houses were done by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's one of the answers given. It's possible. I don't know. We, I don't have a great answer. Um, there's a bunch more over here. There's a Kliok over here that says something crazy that I, I really want to go into. He says, this Nebuah was made before Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That already is a little bit of a question. When exactly was the Nebuah of Makas Bechoros? But let's say it happened by Rosh Chodesh Nisan. It's possible that at the time there were no Shvuyim. There was nobody captured at the time. They had Bechor Hashivcha, but there were no Bechor Hashvi because nobody was in jail at the time. But in between Rosh Chodesh Nisan and the 15th of Nisan, there were some people captured. Some people were thrown in jail, and those were the Bechors that died. The question is, what in the world happened in between that allowed there to be no captives, and all of a sudden there were a billion captives? What happened that there were Bechor Hashvi by the 15th of Nisan? And that, I have a bunch of answers. But I will tell you, this is a crazy answer. It does work according to the crazy Medrash that the Bechoros staged a rebellion on the 14th of Nisan. When they heard that Makas Bechoros was going to happen the next night, all the Bechoros ran to Paro and they were like, look, big guy. <laughs> They've been right every time. Every Maka has come true. Dom, Sardayakin, everything's come true. They're, he's predicting that the Bechoros, we, are going to die tonight. We don't want to die. Let the Jews go. And Paro said, you got to take it like a man, buddy. you got to just hold off. It's okay. Okay? you got to take it. We're all, we're all going to be okay. It's, do it for the nation. Do it for the nation. And the Bechorahs finally had added up. They're like, no. <laughs> we're done with this. So they literally staged a coup that day in Mitzrayim. And Paro sent their fathers to go fight them. So the Bechorahs fought against their own fathers in a massive civil war where they went up against each other and many Bechors were killed and captured. They were captured, thrown in jail, and those were the people who were in jail that died. That was the Bechor Ashvi. There was no Bechor Ashvi before, before because they weren't in jail, but they were in jail by that night and those are the people that are mentioning. The Bali Tosa say this. I'm going to tell you over the whole thing. Shariyaran brings the entire Medrash. The firstborn began to protest outside of the palace. I don't with little placards that said, let the Jews go, let the Jews go, right? They went through. Paro told his servants to go beat them up. But the firstborn Egyptians began to slaughter their own parents and friends until they were eventually captured and thrown in jail where they died that night itself. That's why we say every Shabbos, Lemake Mitzrayim Bivchorehem. We kill the Mitzrayim Bivchorehem. I think it's Tilim Kuflam Edvav. Instead of Lemake Bechore Mitzrayim. We don't say the Bechore Mitzrayim. We say Bivchorehem because the Bechorehem killed their own fathers in Mitzrayim. There's a lot to this. Everybody knows the famous Machlokis between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim. The Chachamim say that, uh, it's Dam Sardayakin Amar of Devar Shchimbar at Arba Choshech Makas Bechoros. But Rabbi Yudah says, How you know him by Simonim? And he says, Ditzach Adash Biachav. So the difference between them is, the Tanakama says, Makas Bechoros. He doesn't say Makas Dam, he doesn't say Makas Radei, he doesn't say Makas Kinim, he says Makas Bechoros. Right? Shouldn't it be Bechoros? And Rabbi Yehuda says, Ditzach Adash Biachav. Not Beacham. Right? Makas Bechoros. He says, Be'achav. 
What's the difference? Because the Chachamim hold of this Medrash and say the Maka was a double Maka. Number one, that the Bechorahs died, and number two, that the Bechorahs killed their own parents. Part of the Maka was the Makas Bechoros, the Maka that the Bechoros did against their own fathers, and then the fact that they died. And Rabbi Yudah only counts the Bechorahs dying, so he says it's only Bechoros, it's not Makas Bechoros. There's so much more to that. But either way, regardless, Chizkuni says there were some people who thought they could be smart, they could get away with not dying. When they heard that the Bechor HaShifcha would die, they said, ah, if the Bechor HaShifcha is going to die, then maybe the Bechor HaShvi will survive because they're lower than the Bechor HaShifcha. So they allowed themselves to be captured and thrown in jail so they wouldn't die. Guess what happened, Ralph? Just guess. Bet you they died. Yeah, they died. That's the Chizkuni. That's why there were Bechorah Shvi over there. That's that. The Chizkuni gives another answer. That when the maidservant's children heard this nevuah, they were happy. And they thought to themselves, now we're at least equals to Mitzrayim. They're going to die. We're going to die. We're all going to die together. Yay! And that was that. But it... They, they, the Egyptians were so mad at that, they took all the Bechor Shifchas and threw them in jail, and that's where they died. The parish on the tour says the firstborn ran away because of this. They were caught and thrown in jail. Either way, there were people that were thrown in jail, and that's that. Okay, there's a lot more, and I'm not going to go into everything over here. I am going to go into one last thing. I think we're going to do this. Hmm. Oh, man. Okay. I'm going to do this really, really quickly. How much time do I have? Do I have like five minutes? I have four minutes. Okay, ready? It should be obvious to everybody why Paro would have to lose his firstborn as well as anybody who's enslaved the Jews and deserved to be punished. That's that. But why would the, the shipcha, the shvi, or an animal be punished? Right? So before we begin to ask, answer this question, Rabbi Hiel Michal Feinstein asks why this question isn't asked above by any of the other makos. In other words, why not ask the question, why did any of the people deserve to die if it was Paro making the bad decisions? Nobody should have died. Why dever did the animals die? If the animals didn't deserve to die, they didn't do anything wrong. The obvious answer is because animals and slaves are all acquisitions of their owners. So therefore, if the owners make a bad decision, their acquisitions go down as well. Their kinyanim go down. So that means the Bechor, right, is going to be from any of these, and that's automatic. But that reasoning seemingly doesn't apply over here, because the Pusik specifically mentions that they're going to die, the Bechor HaShivcha, and the Bechor HaShvi, and the Bechor HaBehema. It sounds like they are specifically being singled out. And why is that? What did they do wrong? Then Aksanat. So Rashi says, the Shivchos also enslaved the Jews, as well as their children. They were happy to watch them suffer. The Shvuyim didn't enslave them, but they had to be punished as well. So they wouldn't say that it was their own gods saving them from the Mitzrayim. And the animals, they were punished because they were served as idols by the Egyptians. When you punish a nation, you got to punish their gods as well. That's Rashi. Every single one of these answers is crazy and takes a lot of work to understand. We're not going to be able to go through having the Rokas. It's just another answer that has nothing to do with the actual slave or animal, but why the masters were punished with this specific answer, that the Egyptians made the Jews suffer by making them work for them, forcing them to do things that they didn't want to do, as well as capturing and keeping their animals for no reason. Therefore, their punishment included punishing the Egyptians' personal slaves and animals as a Mida Kenegan Mida. You did that to the Jews, we're going to do it right back to you. The Rabbi Yoel says, when Sarimene went down to Egypt, as well as Sarach Bas Asher, the Egyptians did their absolute best to do terrible things to them and were not successful. The Egyptians made the Jews, I guess you could say, that act is referred to as Rechaim. Maybe they caused them to be in the grinding mills. Maybe it refers to something a little more sinister. Regardless, that's why even the Bechor HaRechaim had to die and Mide Kenegimido what they wanted to do to Sarah and Sarah Pasasher. By the way, that Sarah Pasasher Medrash is not mentioned anywhere else but here. I've never seen it in any other place. It's only mentioned over here about Sarah Pasasher. There's a Sifsech Chamehwebe in Oznaim as well that people... 
enjoy watching B'nai Yisrael suffer, even though they don't gain from it whatsoever, which is the reason why these, you know, the B'nai, the, the Bechor Shvi ended up dying. There's another Paneach Raz over here in a Sifzeh Chamim, but the Maloa Omer says it was the Shvuyim that were, ah, no, let's take it up for right now. There is a Maloa Omer, but I don't want to go into it. At the very, very last thing, regarding these firstborn being killed because they were happy that the Jews were being killed themselves, Tuf Chiyabiu brings a story of that someone came to Rebbe Zoberstein and asked what he could do for a Kapara. Listen to this. This is a really crazy story. He was responsible for a car accident. But the only witness that saw the crash was a certain guy, and he knew that if it went to court, he was going to lose millions. Lose millions, his insurance premiums are going to go up. He was 100% responsible. In the end, that guy ended up dying in a car crash. The only witness died in another car crash. So this guy went to Rabbi Zilberstein and said, when I heard that news, I said, Baruch Hashem! And then he said, oh my gosh, I said Baruch Hashem about a Jew that died. So he came to Rabbi Yitzhak and he said, what do I do? How do I get a kapara for this? Like, I, I was happy that a Jew passed away. And he said, like honestly, he said to Rabbi I still am happy that the Jew passed away. If the Jew didn't pass away, I'd be losing millions. Now I'm not going to. What do I do for such a thing? Rabbi Yitzhak compared it to David Amalek's Gaga when he sang a shira over Shaul Amalek's death. Shaul Amalek was trying to kill him. And when he died, he sang a shira. And he called it Shigayon Lidavid. It's a Pasuk in Tehillim. Shigayon Lidavid. Perek Zayin in Tehillim. That he was singing over Shaul Amalek's death. Right? He would no longer be chasing after him. He told him that Ein Adam Nitvas al Tsaro. This is what Yusuf Zobershin told him. You're not grabbed for your Tsar. Right? When you were in the midst of something like that. And therefore, don't be worried. Don't be worried about what happened. That's there, where he doesn't say anything whatsoever. However, in Aleinu L'Shabach, he says clearly, if someone is happy that his friend is suffering, even in his heart, he should know that it's as if you're making that person suffer directly. That's what Rashi's telling us over here. You should never be happy about your friend's suffering, especially if you stand to gain from it. That's something that shouldn't be there. Now, Yelis Ashaka, Rebaron Leib Steinman says it very clearly. Someone who's happy that something bad is happening to someone else is punished bidei shamayim and has those sorrows come upon him himself. So that's something to always remember. If you're happy that someone else is suffering, that does take something. You should do something about that. And we learned that from the Bechorah Shvi, who are punished for being happy that the Jews were suffering in Mitzrayim. That's something that we as Jews should never allow to happen to us. That's something that we absolutely cannot do. We'll stop with that, everybody. Have a great Shabbos.